Hi, my name is David Siegler and welcome to my podcast. Hi everybody out there in property sourcing profit land. Uh, Team PSP, I hope you're well uh, today and you are managing your way through this crisis that we're going through um, all together. And uh, I've got a concern team. <laughs> I'm very worried here. Uh, you can't see me. This is audio. It's probably just as well. Because I need a haircut, guys. I do. It's getting very long. So, uh, I, you know, we've all seen those um, clippers ads, Facebook ads pop up on our feed, no doubt. We've spent a bit too much time scrolling through Facebook. And um, I thought of getting a pair of clippers. Uh, but Mrs. S gave me very firm guidance on that. She prefers 1970s man to return. That's when, when she met me. I had hair down to my shoulders. It's heading that way again. Hair down to my shoulders. It's heading that way again. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit worried about how I'm going to manage this because I, I, I did I, physically. You know, there are there are many faults. I have many faults and uh, odd oddities and and strange things going on. But I do have a lot of hair on my head. Right, I have a lot of hair on my head, and it grows. And it grows very thick and it's getting very bushy. And I'm very concerned about it. So uh, I just thought I'd put it out there. Why am I sharing this with you on the Property Sourcing Profits podcast? Because, uh, you know, we've all got our things we worry about, right? I need a haircut team. Don't know if I can wait. Are we going to get locked down for another month? Can I wait another month? Where's it all going to end? I shall finish up with... uh, some one of those tennis hairbands. Keep everything in place. Anyway down to cases here so this property uh, property sourcing profits episode is a little bit different i got embroiled team embroiled in a conversation on facebook with a lovely lovely lady called trisha brown morning trisha if you're listening should be listening i'll give you a shout out when uh, this podcast episode goes live uh yeah lovely lady i think you're a lovely lady trisha i, I mean we don't really know each other it's one of those facebook things <laughs> maybe you're not I'm sure you are. Uh, a lovely lady called Trisha Brown. And she sent me, and you know, at my request, to be fair, not stalking me or anything, or maybe you are Trisha, I don't know. Um, she sent me a list of questions that she um, wanted answered with respect to sourcing and selling deals, packaging deals. And to be fair, team, there's some really good questions on there. Really, really good questions. So I thought I would share her questions. Trisha, shout out to you. Uh, Trisha's questions. And uh, basically, I'm going to go through Trisha's questions one at a time, from the top to the bottom, and just give my view. Uh, In some cases, there is actually a definitive answer. In some cases, you know, it's kind of how you feel. Okay, so let's not, without further ado, let's not waste any more time on this. Let's get moving, team. So, Trisha's questions from the top. Uh, Hi, David. My question would be, and there's more than one question, team. Okay, stay with me. My question would be, how do you fully qualify your investor as an all-cash or mortgage investor to prevent dropouts at a late stage of the deal. Okay, so there's questions within questions there, Tricia. Uh, first of all, how do you define your investor as being cash or mortgage? Let's deal with that. 
Okay, it's all to do with fact-finding. You have to fact-find. You have to build the relationship with your investor so that you understand exactly what they want and why they are speaking to you, be they cash or be they, they mortgage. It doesn't really matter whether they're cash or mortgage. So I, I have in my head, and I've no idea where this figure came from, that about 70% of all investors, property investors use mortgages to buy their properties i work as you all know with predominantly with cash investors because it's easier for me right it's less work for me right i don't have to worry about the mortgage company down valuations all that malarkey okay um however it must be said that most of my cash investors most of them don't leave their cash in the property they tend to remortgage after the event and get as much cash as they can out again there's nothing wrong with that that's totally cool right so what's the point of me sharing it point of me sharing it is virtually every investor i've ever dealt with uses mortgage at some point during the process be it before purchase or after purchase so that's totally cool so um how are you going to qualify how are you going to make sure that the investor doesn't drop out late in the stage of the deal okay so this is about your relationship as the packager with the investor and it's about the fact finding and have you done a decent job to evaluate your investors needs wants desires that is the key okay how do you do that so it starts at your very first conversation right because you have to come across as somebody who knows what they're doing because people buy people and uh, first impressions are very important so you have to come across as somebody who knows their area knows their patch now you can be new to deal packaging but still know your area you can talk um yeah with volition about what's going on in your area you can talk about the historical numbers you can talk about capital growth in property over the last five years 10 years 15 years maybe back to the year 2000 20 years now wow where did that go right um and uh you can talk about returns so the sort of rents you're going to get let's 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 zoom in on single let buy to lets just as an example you should know what the rental uh, values are in your area where you work and therefore you can work out the gross yields because you know what the cost of acquisition of the of the property is going to be so you can give an investor a pretty accurate idea of the returns in your area so you're building your credibility that's just one thing you need to do build your credibility with your investor through and this could be through several conversations okay it can be face to face when we're let off the leash and we can go face to face again or it can be you know skype zoom facetime whatever you know but you need to st i believe even if it's virtually you need to see the investor face to face even if it's virtually okay good to hear that so um the point of the fact find Tricia is to make sure you know exactly what the investor wants and also the point of the fact find is and and this comes on uh, to one of your later questions about compliance and we can dress this up as a compliance requirement i.e uh, the money laundering stuff right you have to know how much money they have to spend 
right? And we are required as part of the compliance uh, process to talk to the investor about what cash they've got available, how much they've got available, and also the source of that cash. Okay, you're supposed to ask those questions as well. And um, a lot of deal packages, in my experience, do not ask the second part of the question, i.e. where did the cash come from? Usually because they're a bit embarrassed to ask the question, you know. Um, but you, we are supposed to ask that question as well in case, you know, our investor is going to say, I, I robbed a bank. <laughs> I'm laundering it, right? I'm going to buy a house and, you know, then sell the house and clean my money, right? So, you know, if they say they robbed a bank, Tricia, I would take a step back, definitely. Okay, so where was I heading with this? Yes, so... Um, is your, is your investor going to drop out, whether they're cash or mortgage, towards the end? Right. So it's part of the fact-find process. And as part of the fact-find process, you need to know that they are in, in a position to pay, albeit with mortgage or cash, that they've got the money available. Uh, normally, an investor will need some money to buy a property, so and where the money's come from. And you build the picture of why they're talking to you in the first place. Because if they are talking to you, there must be a reason they're talking to you. They, people don't just have haphazard conversations, right, Tricia? So if they know that you're going to package deals for them, right, and they want a deal back in their head, inside their head somewhere, they will spend time talking to you. They will go through the process of you finding out who they are and what they want. Really, really important. Really, really important. Okay. So it's about relationship building. So you get the information from them. The information you need is, do they want to buy? Okay. What returns do they want on their money? Why do they want to buy property as opposed from anything else, i.e. bricks and mortar, growth over time, uh, get a much better return net than they get in, in the bank or building society at the moment? You know, how much are they getting in the bank building society at this particular time you know into april 2020 that nothing they're getting nothing right and inflation's eating away at their pro at their um capital so um you you've got quite a good offer for them getting them into property especially if they think you know your stuff so if you've done it right trisha they really should not pull out at the last minute you know, to spoil the deal. They really shouldn't, right? You should have them at hello. Oh, that's, oh, that's a good line. Maybe it's from a film. <laughs> yes, I know it is. You should have them um, in a position where they get it, they understand what they're buying, they know what the benefits are. It's about the benefits to them, right? And also they've got confidence in you that you know what you're doing, right? If you get to that place, Tricia, they won't. They won't disappoint you. They won't pull out of the deal. Uh, they will go through with it, and they will pay you. Okay? So you've got to get to that point. Excellent. Let's move on to your next question. There's a little series of questions. Tricia says, everyone talks of compliance, but as newbies... Oh, no, I See, I, I try not to use the word newbies, Tricia. I don't like the word newbies. Um, they're just more experienced deal packages and less experienced deal packages that's how i see it anyway but as newbies your word difficult to get a full scope on what this is what i have taken it to mean is the following okay so you're asking a question about compliance what i would say is you when we go into the following you know your following what you take it to mean um actually not all of it is compliance okay so i'm gonna sort of just 
smooth this out and make it you know what you need to do and what is compliance okay so i think that's important to to know so for instance you say um what your come what should your company setup be should it be a company should it be a limited partnership you can trade as a sole trader right um being guided by your accountant yes you should get guidance as to that decision from your accountant i think in general terms and i put a caveat out there i'm not giving financial advice here right <laughs> but in general terms deal packaging is trading if you're going to set up uh, a trading business i would do it through a limited company i think that's the accepted wisdom you can do it as a sole trader absolutely i don't see too many deal packages out there in deal packaging land doing it through an llp a limited liability partnership um but it is a possibility so speak to your accountant caveat speak to your accountant very important if you're setting up a company how do you identify the best sick code uh and what even is that <laughs> yes let's talk about sic codes sick codes and what they are so the start of the end what they are uh, an sic code uh if is it applies to a limited company trisha and anyone else who's interested in this <laughs> sick codes okay let's go SIC codes, uh, if you set up a limited company, SIC codes define the activities of the company, what the company is allowed to do. A limited company can only work in certain areas as defined by um, the SIC codes. And uh, you can make the choices at the beginning or you can actually change the activities of the company and change the SIC codes as you go along. Speak to your accountant every company is allowed to have i believe up to four sick codes so there are multiple strategies multiple activities that a company can have so we are trisha where we are at the moment is setting up a company and one of the first questions uh, in that process you're going to be asked by company's house is what are the sick codes so i've distilled it down these are the three i don't think you're going to do much beyond these three these are the three top of the shop Okay, number one sick code pop pickers uh, should be, and you might need to write this down if you're driving or flying an aeroplane or any sort of um, precarious pursuit at this point. Please re-listen to it later and write it down then, okay? Um, sick code for estate agency. Now, deal packages are regarded, uh, and it's a bit of a blunderbuss approach, so... Um, for for this purpose for sick codes it's, uh, we, deal packages are regarded as estate agents and it's becoming a bit of a beer in my bonnet because i don't think we are actually um estate agents and yet i can see why the general public might think we're estate agents but i think we do things differently and i think we do things more and i th think we do things less depending on what exactly you're talking about um and it is relevant i'll come back to it in a second but the estate agency sick code is probably the closest one to what our activities are, and it is currently 68310. 68310, that is the estate agency sick code. 68310. If you need to hear that again, listen to the podcast episode again. Right. There's a couple more that you should consider and maybe include them on your in your company's activity, just for the heck of it. Yeah, why not? Because you can. 
okay? Certainly with this first one, 68100, 68100. That is for a company which is trading property, trading. So you, this is flips, this is buy to sell, okay? Maybe in your deal packaging company, uh, it's quite congruent for you to uh, be flipping property as well. Maybe you'll come across a deal, it's too good to sell on for a five grand fee, so you want, you want the profit of the flip. Maybe you could do that through your trading company, maybe you do it through a different company, but give yourself the uh, capacity to do it by including SIC code 68100. So we've got 68310 and 68100. How cool. That's estate agency and trading. There is a third SIC code that you might want to consider, but possibly, possibly, it's incongruent to do it in the same company as your deal packaging activity. And that is if you want to let or operate your own portfolio through rentals, i.e. your portfolio, renting your portfolio. So in that instance, if you've got a company to do that, and I would keep it separate from your trading company. I've, I've, I've always have uh, kept my deal packaging activities separate in a trading company from holding property for rent. Uh, holding property for rent, I've done it, I've I'm definitely doing it in my personal name, me and the present Mrs. S. We own properties together, but I've also got companies that hold, own and hold properties. Um, 68209, I think, is the most appropriate SIC code for that. 68209, letting and the operate, operating your own portfolio. Okay, so we dealt with SIC codes, but it is not a compliance issue. And in your question, Tricia, you sort of all. Uh, bundled all this up as part of compliance no setting up your company is not compliance okay we're going to talk about compliance right now because you say register with an ombudsman but how do you pick what one which one trisha please which one meets your needs best public liability insurance professional indemnity insurance how do you estimate your income levels and cover levels as someone new getting into business ICO registration for GDPR, relatively straightforward online application once you have a company set up. Are there any other things to be aware in, in relation to GDPR? Really? It's only a short episode, this one, Tricia. Um, and is it a requirement to register with an association? If so, which one? The NLA or the RLA, have they amalgamated now? Sorry, it's so long, she says. Okay, there's a lot of stuff there, Trish. I'm going back to the beginning. <clears throat> um, okay, there is compliance. Now, I've done a separate uh, podcast episode just on the registrations for compliance. So I'm not going to saw the sawdust up on this now, but I am going to cover it very quickly because you've asked the question. Okay, so compliance, do it in this order, this order, okay? The first thing you need is... Um, professional indemnity insurance. I'm not sure you need public liability insurance. I don't have it in my deal packaging business. <gasps> there you go. I don't. I don't. But I do have professional indemnity insurance. Professional indemnity insurance. Now, do it in this order because you need, if you're going to register with a redress scheme, and I'll come back to that, and then register with HMRC for anti-money anti -money laundering supervision, uh, they will ask you what your PI insurance is, 
the insurance number, policy number. So you need, might as well get your policy number first. You know, don't do it back to front because it won't work. Okay. So you get your pr- uh, professional indemnity insurance first. How do you estimate your income levels as someone getting into the business? Okay. Don't forget, you can always change your levels. The legislation says that you need minimum of a hundred grand worth of cover. £100,000 worth of cover. Now, this is not about your income at this point. It's about the value of the deals because what this is about, your PI insurance, is, and it's very rare in my view, you know, I I don't hear a lot of complaints, but there is a potential for an investor to start complaining about what you've done as a deal packager. The potential is there, okay? If they complain you're supposed to have an internal... Um, internal complaints process and then if it's not resolved at that point it goes to the ombudsman okay Uh, the ombudsman will then make a ruling now if you've done something wrong okay you you are you have to abide by that ruling that's the deal when you join the um, uh, redress scheme if you've done something wrong your professional indemnity insurance should pay out so how much are you going to need to pay out um, hundred grand in property deals it, it's it's a lot of money right if you haven't got hundred grand it's a huge amount of money but in terms of trading properties maybe it's not a huge amount of money do you need more than that Trisha I think what you're gonna find is most off-the-shelf policies and there's nothing wrong with an off-the-shelf policy offers uh, between a quarter of a million and five hundred thousand pounds worth of cover okay you should consider those okay uh, the other key number is that the TPO, uh, PRS, I'll come on to those, they, they are the redress schemes, will ask you to have an excess of on the policy, I'll assume that everyone knows what an excess is, you pay the first X amount, right, of no more than a £1,000. So your, your statutory obligation is uh, 100 grand worth of cover with an excess of no more than a thousand pounds you'll probably you must not change the excess um you'll probably find policies out there that cover you up to half a million quid go to a reputable insurance broker who knows what you want right it's got to be a deal packages professional indemnity insurance right sometimes they'll take an off-the-shelf estate agency one that doesn't because we don't actually do exactly what estate agents do so there'll be stuff in there you don't need and equally there'll be depackaging stuff that you do need that's not in an estate agency policy so i'm trying to say this without confusing everyone compliance first thing you need is a policy right professional indemnity insurance then you take that and you can join a redress scheme now i believe at the moment there's two operating there is the tpo the property ombudsman which is one i'm a member of only because um it's been going a long time and i've been going a long time right um have a look at it um see if it covers your needs right the other one is the prs the property redress scheme uh, again, have a look at it. It's slightly different. They do things slightly differently. They certainly present things slightly differently. Uh, which one Which one do you like? It's about you, your character, which one you like. The costs are, I believe, identical. Uh, but in registering with either of them, um, two things you should do. First of all, have your PI insurance in place because you need the policy number. Secondly, 
download from either of them the obligations that they they want from you there'll be a document attached to each you know what your what you need to do to be a good member okay so download it and read it doesn't work unless you read it okay you got to read it um then we go on to so we've got our policy we're a member of a redress scheme uh ico and gdpr right the information commissioner's office very straightforward you're absolutely right trisha to register online i think if you pay by direct debit currently it's about 35 pound a year so why would you not why would you not uh register um are there things to be aware of in relation to gdpr okay i'm sure that there are now's not the time for me to do gdpr really um however you should read up on gdpr it's very very important okay i've said that covered my back there uh i think the key thing is you have to look after people's data this is about people's data so you're going to take people's data you're going to have their date of birth you're going to have what funds they've got available and where it is that type of thing right you have to keep it safe you have to give the person who owns the data the, the investor access to the data uh, you have to you know have systems in place where you can delete the data if required by the individual who owns the data uh you're gonna have vendors data just look after their data all right i'm not going any further with that today so we've got from the top of the shop we've got our professional indemnity insurance we've got our registration with the tpo or prs doesn't matter which one uh ico we've done our 35 quid and then you don't actually mention it Ooh, you don't but i'm gonna go on to see oh no it kicks back register with hmlc you said it right you did it back to front you did it right at the top okay then you have to register with hmrc for anti-money laundering supervision okay and um i'm gonna keep this really really short really really short okay in order to register you need your professional indemnity insurance number and your they will ask you for your redress scheme registration number they will and you go through the process um basically there is a 47 might be 57 page document on the hmrc aml website download it and read it okay those are your um obligations uh under the hmrc aml scheme right it's all in there everything is in there okay um it's a bit of a dry read actually it's not that difficult no i'm gonna i'm gonna take a step back there um it's not that difficult right you've got to bash through it okay but it will tell you everything you need to do right so i'm not gonna now on a podcast episode because it's going all, all day and all night right tell you what you need to do but it's all in there okay so just to summarize on compliance right professional indemnity insurance register with address scheme don't forget the ico register with hml hmrc for anti-money laundering supervision again you will get a unique number from hmrc your registration number a couple of things to watch out for one is we spoke about how you're going to trade if you're going to do it in a limited company right the limited company has to be the owner of the registrations so trisha you can't set up a uh, you should not set up a company to trade and then register in your own private personal name right because you can register in your personal name okay similarly if you're a sole trader don't 
register as something else okay it's all got to match so uh, you've got to make a decision pretty early on in your deal packaging career are you going to trade from a company because uh, you don't want to go through the process again. If you if you start as a sole trader, start to build up a bit of momentum, you know, get to the point where you've got to register for VAT. Oh, dear, I don't want to register as an individual for VAT. I ought to start a company, right? And then you've got to do all your registrations all, all over again. Because it's a cost of this stuff, maybe initial setup costs at the moment, depending on where you get your indemnity insurance policy, twelve to 1500 quid. You don't want to do that all over again. Okay, cool. And then finally, yeah, wow, <laughs> it's yet, this has been a bit longer, but I'm going to cut it off at this one, Tricia. I'll do one more, okay? Um, is it a requirement to register with an association? If so, which one? The NLA or the RLA? National Landlords Association or uh, the Residential Landlords Association? So, or have they amalgamated now, Tricia, wisely? tags on the end of a question uh, they have amalgamated um, I was a member of the NLA for many many years I'm now a member of the is it the NRLA or the RNLA one of them anyway yes they've amalgamated um, I find them as a resource invaluable there's all sorts of information on there um, their legal I, I think their legal advice line is excellent especially if you're dealing with tenants in your own portfolio, uh, I think it's very, very useful. Um, when I've done my own lettings over the years, and occasionally I have, I've downloaded their documents, so I use their ASTs and all their letters and everything that you have to use uh, working with your own tenants. Similarly, and you brush on this, uh, and I'm not going there in this episode, Tricia, if you get a recalcitrant tenant, you know, someone that doesn't want to pay the rent, doesn't want to play the game, or rather is playing a game because you know they've done it before and they know they're trying to get away with stuff section 8 and section 21 those are the main weapons that we have in normal times not today but in normal times to get um possession of our own property from a misbehaving tenant and getting rent arrears um they their documentation serving their documentation um is is a, it's sort of bomb-proof, right, because they know what they're doing, and B, it's very logically thought out. So I, I highly commend them. Tricia, we're there. I know there's a couple of other questions, but um, I hope you're happy with the answers I've given you. I hope it wasn't too muddled. I hope you got it straight now. Uh, and can I thank you? I want to thank you, Tricia, because I believe the questions you've asked have served our wider community. So um, anyone else... Anyone else out there in property sourcing world, right, who wants their questions dealt with, maybe I won't do a, a full episode like this one, but if you've got any questions, message me. By all means, message me. I'm on Messenger on Facebook. That's where I like to keep my messages, if you don't mind. Um, message me there with a question, and maybe we'll do a, you know, every episode we'll do a listener's question of the week or whatever it is. You know, I'll find something a bit more groovy to call it guys i hope that's all been helpful thank you so much for listening um stay safe get out there find some deals we're gonna sell all of them it's gonna be great thank you for listening i am david siegler see you on the next episode